this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my sermon podcast. hope this is a, a time this weekend, Martin Luther King weekend, is a time for you not only to perhaps rest and reflect, but also to be inspired by Dr. King and the movements that he inspired. We are continuing our sermon series called The Rhythm of Life, and I'll talk about that in a moment. Let's first read the passage that we'll be focusing on today. This comes from the book of 1 Thessalonians, and this is chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 16 through 26. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise the words of prophets, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do this. Beloved, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. God's blessing be on the hearing and living out of this word. My daughter took a class on children's literature last semester at uh, her school, and she was asked to look at some of the books that she grew up with. Thankfully, we've kept quite a few of those books, and so it was a fun exercise for us to dive into some of our favorites. Some of them, of course, are newer, written within the last few years, or now that she's 18, last 20 years or so. But, of course, there are plenty of classics that I'm sure you grew up with and I grew up with, including more than a few by Dr. Seuss, like The Lorax and Green Eggs and Ham in our own collection. Dr. Seuss, of course, had an amazing way of writing rhyming verses to help children read, but many of these phrases have deep meaning too. So, for example, from How the Grinch Stole Christmas, this classic line, then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. What if Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store? What if Christmas perhaps means a little bit more? Or a more recent book that has become a popular graduation gift called Oh, the Places You'll Go. This is a quote from that book. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're on your own, and you know what you know, and you are the one who will decide where to go. These are fun sayings that make us pause and maybe reflect for a couple of sentences. Maybe you uh, print it out, post it near your desk somewhere that you can read it. Uh, but then often when we read something like that, we smile and nod and then go on with our day. Well, I mentioned that we're in the middle of this sermon series called Rhythms of Life, So often these days, people talk about they just don't have enough time, uh, and it's hard for them to really live life in a way that helps them to flourish, and so they try to find a way to help them maximize that 24 hours in a day that they have. It's a new maybe day planner or maybe some sort of app that will help them to do just that. Well, we believe there are certain rhythms of life that God has created for us that have been available to us for centuries, for generations. And so we want to talk about some of these rhythms. So we've talked about Sabbath, and last week um, we talked about and reflected on connecting and community. Today we're going to be talking about prayer. And if I had to choose just one topic to read about and reflect on, it would be prayer. So I always look forward to preaching on this important component to a faith life. But when I think about 
prayer and I think about how others think about prayer, I sometimes wonder if people of faith equate prayer with a Dr. Seuss quote. That is, it's a nice little thing to reflect on. Maybe it gives you a little boost to the day, but then you just kind of go on with your life without giving it more than a few seconds, maybe a few minutes of your time. That's why today's passage from 1 Thessalonians should give us pause, if we really take it seriously, that is. So let me say a quick word about 1 Thessalonians. It's one of those books in the Bible that is long and maybe hard to pronounce that gets lost in those books near the end of the New Testament, like Philippians and Colossians and Ephesians. Well, first, it's important to note that this is a letter written by a man named Paul. Paul is considered kind of the evangelist extraordinaire, capital E, capital E, in the early church. It's a man who never knew Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry, but instead, in fact, was a persecutor of early followers of Jesus. But Paul had a transformative experience of the risen Christ, and it totally changed his life. And from then on, he was committed and convicted to tell others about Jesus. So he traveled far and wide in what today we would call Turkey and Greece, but he went as far as to the west as Rome, and then, of course, far east as Jerusalem. As part of his travels, he started churches, and as a way to keep in touch with them, he wrote them letters to encourage and instruct these early churches and also hold them accountable. This particular letter is written to a new church in the city of Thessalonica. If you look on a map, an old map, you can see Thessalonica's a little bit northeast of Athens. So this particular group, this little church in Thessalonica, is pretty new. They had recently heard about the gospel and they were remaining faithful. And so Paul has kind of a warm spot in his heart for this church. It's a letter that's full of thanksgiving. Right off the bat, chapter 1, verse 2, Paul writes, We always give thanks to God for all of you. He ends this particular letter with some final instructions. Again, I talked about how he's doing his best to try to teach churches how to be communities, how to grow into their faith in the risen Lord. So that's what we're reading today, these little instructions. They're short, to the point, and in some ways they might even act like one of those Dr. Seuss quotes that are just perfect for sticking up uh, on a post-it note on your desk. Rejoice always, Paul writes. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I think what happens today is that individuals or churches read these verses and we nod and say, yes, yes, and then we go on with our day, like uh, Dr. Seuss quote. But, But what if Paul is serious here? Do you remember one of those notable quotes from yet another Dr. Seuss book, Horton Hears a Who? When Horton says, I said what I meant, and I meant what I said, and elephant's faithful 100%. What if Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances? What if Paul is saying, I said what I meant, and I meant what I said? What if Paul actually is serious here to rejoice always? to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in all circumstances. If Paul is serious and we take his writings seriously, I think that changes how we see prayer and it challenges all of us to take prayer more seriously. 
Now, I realize that prayer can mean lots of things to lots of different people, lots of, so many different ways of, of looking at it. I think for some, they think of prayer almost like magic, like it's a spell out of a Harry Potter book. If I just say the right words, squeeze my eyes hard enough, get enough people to pray for me, then poof, whatever I want will come true. Some might think of prayer and they immediately feel guilty. For example, they sometimes will think that I'm not doing it enough or that you know, I fall asleep when I pray. And so because of that, they don't want to venture into that territory because they don't like that feeling of guilt. Some feel intimidated. They don't know what to say. I learned pretty quickly in any gathering when it, I entered the ministry that whenever it called for prayer, all eyes would turn to me, the supposed professional prayer. I think part of that is because it's intimidating. People think there's a right way to do it. And so because of that, I prayed in all kinds of places, in parks, I prayed for pets, I prayed at council meetings, I prayed at school assemblies, and the list goes on. But I think also, too, when people think about prayer, they also think prayer is nice, prayer is safe, prayer is tame, prayer is fine in that it has a time and a place. So, for example, it's just fine to say the Lord's Prayer in church. It's good to say a brief prayer before a meal. Maybe we have a prayer that we say before bed. All of these things are good. I do them myself. But I think there are some who, when they think about prayer, they kind of subconsciously think, let's just keep it confined. Keep it in these short little snippets and we'll have it said or reflected upon or thought about in these certain instances. But I think by doing this, by seeing prayer in all of these ways, and I don't mean to make people feel additionally guilty if you do feel these ways, I have myself, but I want us to broaden, really broaden our sense of what prayer is. Because I think when we confine it in these ways, we fail to utilize prayer's full power and potential. There's a chapter out of a book that's really good about prayer called Floodgates. It's by a pastor named Sue Nilsen Kibbe, and she says that many churches snack on prayer instead of feasting on prayer. Does that sound like you? That prayer, prayer is something you kind of dabble in, an appetizer rather than really making a whole meal out of it? Well, I would love for the churches that I'm a part of, I would love for the churches that you're a part of who are listening to this, and I would love for it for you personally to start feasting on prayer. To believe that when Paul says things like, pray without ceasing, rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances, that he means it. Now, we may think that Paul's just exaggerating when he says these things, but I don't know if Paul meant all of these things literally or not, but I do think he uses language to get us to sit up and grab our attention, to get us to think about feasting on prayer rather than just snacking on prayer, to think about making prayer a way of life rather than just a little post-it note to put up somewhere that we can see it. Prayer focuses us in a way that is powerful if we make it almost like a lifestyle. Another book that I read a while ago that was um, 
really helpful for me, a prayer called The Eight Virtues of Rapidly Growing Churches by two friends of mine, Matt Miosky and Jason Biasi. And one of the very first, uh, lots of these books exist out there and people in churches think about, oh, I just, I just want the, the magic formula to make my church grow. And so Matt and Jason talk about some of these things, but the very first chapter talks about uh, how churches or rapidly growing churches anyway, the very first chapter says that churches uh, that are rapidly growing believe in miracles and act accordingly. Now, sometimes we might not know exactly what that means, but Matt wrote this. I want to quote him here, kind of what he means by this in the book. He says, what I discovered is that miracles are actually happening everywhere. In small towns and big cities, in wealthy churches and poor ones, in multi-site megachurches and in rural four-point churches. Here's the difference. Some churches and church leaders live and work like they believe this, and others don't. This distinction makes all the difference. Acting as if we believe that the Holy Spirit is up to something in our midst is the single greatest game-changing decision a church leadership team can make. For starters, we discovered that churches that believe in the miraculous movements of the Holy Spirit pray fervently, specifically, and boldly. Now, I know there are some who come out of church traditions when you talk about miracles, it makes you a little anxious and nervous and suspicious because there are uh, people coming out of other traditions that talk about miracles and it seems somewhat fantastical, hard to believe. Uh, This kind of theology has been abused. Uh, when people say, if you don't pray hard enough or thoughtful enough or have just the right prayer cloth or give just the right amount of money, then you will receive no miracles. And so because of that, I think respectable church-going Christians just leave that kind of language out altogether. But what I appreciated about this quote from Matt and Jason, it made me stop and think too about my own prayer life. And it made me think too about my own way of praying and whether I actually believed what I talk about. There's a powerful passage from the Gospel of Matthew that talks about when Jesus leaves a place and two blind men follow him and they cry out and they say, show us mercy, son of David. And Jesus comes out to them and he says, do you believe I can do this? And they say, yes, Lord. And so I've mentioned earlier and talked about people putting post-it notes up at their desks, and I have one. I'm looking at it right now. I was so taken by that passage, I wrote down on a post-it as a way to remind myself, do you believe I can do this? Do I believe that the Holy Spirit can make a difference? Do I actually believe that God is working? And am I praying for that? I mean, really praying for that. Now, when I talk about that, again, I'm not saying that prayer is magic. I'm not saying that if we say just the right thing, that automatically all our dreams will come true. But I do think that we go just the opposite direction. And we just kind of live our nice, fine, safe lives of faith and don't even consider that God might be doing something in our midst. Do you believe that prayer can make a difference, even if it's just a spark of belief? Again, Matt Miofsky writes this, Praying fervently, boldly, and specifically for miracles begins to focus our vision. It helps us to be on the lookout for where God might be working and where we were perhaps missing God. 
So in other words, when we really are praying for God to do God's work and we're attentive to it, we begin to see ways that God is actually moving and working in our churches and in our lives. And it may be in unexpected ways. It may be in ways that we didn't necessarily desire. It might be pushing us, but it's happening. Now, there are lots of different ways to start on this. I'm going to be talking about, uh, in my own church, a a particular kind of prayer. I'm going to ask people to pray at least once or twice a day as a way, especially for people who don't quite have a a prayer exercise or a rhythm of their own life in prayer. So if you're interested, I can send that to you. You can email me, christian at urbanvillagechurch.org, and I can send you what that prayer is. But one of the top things that uh, I tell people is that even if you have just a spark of belief, if today I'm saying, do you believe that God is doing something in your life? And if you think, I'm not sure, I think maybe that's enough. And when you think about how I can begin to start that prayer, then we begin to be honest and vulnerable and authentic with God. I tell people all the time, I mentioned earlier, when people are nervous or intimidated by prayer, and I say over and over again, you have to be you. You have to talk in the way that you talk, because it's a relationship with God. This is not the Wizard of Oz. This is not some mysterious being behind the curtain that we say the magic words and then things open up. It is about being you in a loving relationship with a God who loves you deeply. And whatever is on your heart, whether you think it's appropriate or not, whether you are swearing like a sailor or whether you are silent, this is what God desires. Even if you're not sure what you're praying for, but if there is a spark that I think God can do something here, God desires you to come forward and share that. I feel this one of my most memorable prayers in my own life. I've shared this before a few years ago, but back when... We were considering uh, starting Urban Village, and when we were thinking about moving into the city, there was uh, everything was pretty much going in that direction. And my wife and I went into downtown Chicago for a weekend. Um, somebody came and stayed with our kids, and so we wanted to spend a weekend really looking for somewhere to live. So we were staying at a hotel in downtown Chicago, and looking around at different houses and neighborhoods, and worrying a bit about the schools. And so we ended the day, uh, we were both exhausted and I think a little testy with one another, uh, getting on each other's nerves perhaps. And so we were in this hotel room and it was, I remember it was like four or five o'clock and I was exhausted and Anne was exhausted and I thought, I've got to just get out of this hotel room. So I walked down to the lobby and I was filled with doubt and not sure whether this thing was going to happen, whether I should do this thing. I mean... Who moves into the city with their kids? It's usually the opposite. But I sat down there in this lobby. And I didn't know what to pray. I didn't know what to say. I wasn't sure if I had a full capacity of belief. But I had a tiny bit. And I came before God and just was myself. And I said to myself, or I said to God, I don't really know what I'm doing here. I don't know if this is what you want me to do. I don't know if this makes no sense at all to move my family down here. What will happen to them? What am I doing to my kids by doing this? I need a little direction here. I need to know that I'm on the right track. 
And I had no idea what would happen. It was kind of a prayer of desperation, which are sometimes the best kinds of prayer because that's when we're truly ourselves. But when I prayed that prayer, I'll never forget this sense of love and warmth and clearly this sense of God saying to me, do you not think, do you not think that I don't love your children more than you do? And that made me feel like, oh yeah, I love my kids. God loves my kids even more than I do. It's going to be okay. Even if this whole venture falls flat on its face, it's going to be okay. And it was. And I think about that particular prayer whenever I talk to people about prayer to encourage them, even if you have just a tiny bit of belief that God can do something, to bring it before God and bring it before God again and again and again, and then to open up your own sense of what God might be doing, because it might be something that surprises you. It might not be what you expect. But when we come before God consistently and expect God to be working and acting and moving, our faith life flourishes. And we get into that rhythm of life that helps us to truly be a loving person and to receive the kind of love that God desires to share. And so I'd encourage you to think about how can I incorporate this rhythm of prayer, lifting up prayers to God, to being in relationship with God and believing that God is in my life and is active in my life so that no matter where I am, I can rejoice always. I can pray without ceasing. And it's that kind of relationship with God, knowing that God is consistently always in my life. And so it makes sense, of course, to end this by quoting Dr. Seuss again in Horton, Here's a Who. We've got to make noises in greater amounts, so open your mouth, lad, for every voice counts. Your voice counts, particularly the voice that you lift up to God. May it be so in this newfound rhythm for you, knowing that God receives every kind of prayer and that God is actively moving in your life. And may you have the eyes to see where that might be. be thou my Amen. Vision, well, friends, thank you once again for listening to this sermon and this podcast. As always, you can reach out to me, Christian at urbanvillagechurch.org or on my website, christiancoon.com. Again, if you'd like a copy of the prayer that I'll be sharing with my own church, feel free to email me, and I'll be happy to send that along. I'll be back again next week as we finish up this series on the rhythms of life as I talk about and reflect on giving and serving. And so until then, friends, may the peace of Christ be with you.